the ballpark season 2020. Here we go. Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of In The Ballpark. Let me introduce to you my incredible team. Let's start with the umpire who drew first blood in the headbutt gate. It is Ryan Fryzy Hartwick. Fryzy, welcome to you. Firstly, who won in the headbutt battle against Matt Crouch and Jacob Townsend on the weekend? Oh, goodness me, Surfs again. Thank you for another terrific introduction there. You really don't miss... I gotta say, wasn't that a little episode there? I think from memory there was blood on both sides. I think it was just a matter of who had less blood at the end of it. You know, as uh, as the umps often say to them, you know, guys, just think about your pocket. It's your money sort of thing. They don't seem to listen though, do they? No, they just couldn't help themselves. Who says footy so far this year hasn't been entertaining? Jeez, little, a little more of that would be nice, wouldn't it? And the man who pumped up Port Adelaide last week, he's the stat man who knows how many South Australian fans went home happy on the weekend. Maxi Tonner, welcome to you. <laughs> I'll, I'll finally jump on the Port, Port Adelaide bandwagon. I've been wary of them all year, and as soon as I get on, they let me down. So I'm not too happy with them. But I will say on the Matt Crouch first Jacob Townsend incident, I did see a, a video um, during the week of the 2017 grand final where um, Townsend absolutely pile-drives Matt Crouch into the dirt. So I think there's a bit of existing bad bad blood between the two of them. And I think Townsend originally went for another Adelaide player and Matt Crouch sort of, he could smell some blood in the water and went straight for him. So I think Matt Crouch has forgotten about that incident. Gee, Maxie, that, that's a brilliantly highlighted incident there. I, I completely forgot that these two men went up against each other in the 2017 grand final. And there you go. There was a bit of bad blood there indeed, quite literally on the faces, as you could see. Yeah. And they were trying to work out themselves with all the footage that they may have had, who actually made first contact or in a Rambo sense, who drew first blood. <laughs> yeah, they've got to figure out what they were going to say to the tribunal, I think. But it, I think it was just a bit of stupidity in the end. With the tribunal happening online, do the players actually have to go on to that meeting with a suit on? I doubt it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't reckon too many AFL players would have packed a suit. <laughs> no. Maybe a tropical t-shirt oh. might do it. <laughs> Maybe a tuxedo t-shirt. <laughs> They've got, they've got their suit, shirt and, uh, and jacket on with a pair of board shorts underneath, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Or, Maxie, to give a shout-out to your favourite singlet, maybe the Tequila Mockingbird. You know, yeah. get that going. <laughs> maybe. Well, gents, let's get straight into our new favourite segment, which is My Footy Memory. Bye, bye, bye. Footy Memories. Cue the music, as we usually do with that one. <laughs> footy, Footy Memories. Memory! And my footy memory this week comes from possibly one of the greatest games that we've seen in the modern era, which was in round three, 2004. Gents, first of all, do you know who was playing from memory? Was it Essendon West Coast? It was, Maxie. Gosh, you have the encyclopedic memory, mate. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure, just this is strange, but I'm pretty sure I was having what would have been probably my seventh birthday at the bowling alley near High Point. <laughs> and oh. we were simultaneously watching the Essendon West Coast game and watching the finish of it. <laughs> I remember crazy. it well. That is extraordinary, Maxie. So besides all the Black Eyed Peas songs that they had on those screens, they managed to have one screen at least to the Essendon West Coast game. Yeah, we made sure of it, man. 
Yeah. How did you go as well, by the way, out of curiosity? Did you end up finishing in the top four? Probably no good. I'm no good at bowling, unfortunately. But <laughs> Did you have to use a ramp, Maxi? I think I still need to, mate. <laughs> Fryzy, you were the officiating umpire at the bowling centre? I have to be better at that than the bowling itself because I'm much the same. I just about dropped the ball on my foot for starters, I think. I think it's worth mentioning, gentlemen, that I did get pro when I went to the Wii Bowling, so I'm very, very happy about that. <laughs> That's an achievement, Serbs. You, you make sure that's on your CV, I think. The only sport I didn't get pro in was golf. That was really difficult, I remember, on the Wii. The golf was a little more sophisticated. They were the days when uh, when Wii Sports was anything that mattered. Uh, and yes. very, very difficult as well if you have a Wii console at the moment to try and sell it to anyone. Very, very yeah. difficult. <laughs> Best of luck with that, Serbs. I'm just looking at this. Just happened to bring up this particular match we're talking about here and what a, a sign of the times. I mean, we're talking 16 years ago now. It was 137 defeats 131. What a high-scoring, enthralling game. Yeah, talk about spoiler alert, Fryzy. But anyway, absolutely, it was a very, very... <laughs> Just just for all those fans out there that were at the edge of their seats going, oh, I wonder what the result's going to be. Oh, that's all good. That's all good. Well, it's already happened, so it's not like it. I've just completely <laughs> killed it, haven't I? <laughs> I think everyone knows the scores anyway. <laughs> I think everyone knows the scores. What many people don't know, gentlemen, is how I influenced the game. I had a direct influence in the game, and I'm going to tell you about it because on that very night, gentlemen, I was one of the selected AFL Oz kickers to run out at half time in front of a bumper crowd of 33,000 people, if you don't mind, under the roof at the dome. I was wearing my favourite number 18. <laughs> and I was representing the red team, and our little setup was right near the boundary. So plenty of fans, probably half cut, watching our game, which is very, very exciting. So during the week, just to give you a bit of a context, a bit of a build-up to the game, James Hurd was publicly criticised during the week because he had a bit of a go at Scott McLaren, which, gents, as you know, was public enemy number one with Essendon fans. Yeah, that was a really strange week, wasn't it? I think there was a heavy fine involved there. I remember post-game there were Essendon fans hanging over the fence with like $50. <laughs> I think they were pretty angry at um, Scott McLaren themselves and they were trying to pay her his fine for <laughs> Gents, I love the context, but you guys honestly don't know about spoiler alerts. Come on, we've got to build this up. We've got to make this special for the people listening for the first time. Anyway, let's get straight into it. It was a great start by the Bombers. We stunned the West Coast Eagles with the first eight goals of the game. So it was eight goals to none. This is incredible. Essendon still a chance, a very big chance. McCurry kicks in second. The Dogs by eight goals. But the West Coast Eagles, as we know around this period of time, really starting to become a premiership contender. And they clawed their way back with those big eagle claws of theirs to get within 14 points at the half-time siren. But anyway, that's not the most important part. It was razzle-dazzle showtime for me. I had my coloured boots on, my mouth guard in, socks rolled up, all the way up to the kneecap. They were big socks back in the day. And I was ready to run up the race. The crowd, gentlemen, went absolutely bananas when the Oz kickers came onto the ground. Their beers were put down. We got a standing ovation. Now, look, as one of the tallest kids back in the day, because obviously the Maltese genes have started to catch up on me and I haven't grown since year six. 
But at the time, I was a very tall piece of timber. So I had the ruck duties in the center of the ground. So what happened, gents? I flew higher than any eagle in the stadium. Actually, thinking about it, I tell a lie because Ben Cousins was playing in this game. <laughs> oh, good one, mate. I had, to, I had to get it in, gents. I had to get very, it in. Very, very smooth. I was going to absolutely annihilate. <laughs> I grabbed the ball clean out of the center and I hit the ground running, guys. I one bounce, two bounce, three bounces. I stream towards goal. And guess what? I ran into a vacant goal square and pounded through the first score of the match. Winning, winning, winning. And I took off. I went out of the field of play. I spotted my mum in the crowd and I gave her a massive hug. And the people around me were going off their nuts. Beer was spilling all over me. Turns out that wasn't my mum in the crowd, but my adrenaline was absolutely pumping. I just, I was going to hug anyone in the crowd. I mean, what a goal, <laughs> equal to the celebration. And what happened next was even more astounding. So I ran back to my teammates, only to notice that the ground had been set up for a kick-in. Strange. Did they do the centre bounce without me? Did I miss something? I don't think so. Then oh. <laughs> I remembered back to my magical moment, running into that open goal from the centre square. And I realised that not one single opposition player had even tried to tackle me, nor stop me. Was I too quick for them? I said, ump! Umpire! What's going on? And the umpire politely replied to me that I had kicked her behind. Now, gents, come on. I said to the umpire, in which world is it possible that you can kick a clean ball through the two big sticks and score a behind? And the umpire replied to me, in a world where you kick the ball through your opposition team's big sticks. Oh, serves you. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, gents, that's right. I had run the wrong way with the ball and kicked the greatest behind you'll oh. ever see for the opposition. Oh. Yep. David Roden, eat your heart out. Absolutely. I, I, just too... couldn't believe. I was so excited. I had oh. the ball. I didn't think I'd get a possession for the game. The whole crowd was behind me and I kicked it the wrong way. Just... Absolutely extraordinary. Kicked one of the great, the great um, reverse goals of all time, and you went and hugged someone in the crowd. Do you reckon Herdy was watching? Is that where he got the idea from? Is the thing, Maxi. <laughs> so <laughs> what happened was we lined up and we watched all the Essendon players come out onto the ground and get ready for the third term. And there was the man. What Herdy does is he runs right past me. And when he passes me, Maxi, he gives me a very subtle wink. What could this mean? Did he, he strike? The final quarter got underway. The lead changed four, yes, four times. The scores were level at the 31-minute mark before guess who? If anybody's going to get it, it'll be James. Snap the most unbelievable goal you'll see to win the game. And what did he do next, gentlemen? He hugged the bike in the forward pocket. That's correct. <laughs> he hugged someone in the crowd. So that wink 
was confirmation from the man himself, the man of the moment, that he saw my celebration. There you go. The siren sounded a minute later. The Bombers win the game. He was the best on field. And guess what? Essendon are home in an amazing contest at the Telstra Dome. James Hurd's week is complete. My Oz kick celebration without a shadow of a doubt inspired Hurdy to create one of the best moments in AFL history. You're very welcome, Jimmy. Hold on, Matt. That is terrific. I tell you, it just set the tone. That little wink was just to say, watch this young young fella, because I'm about to take this game by the scruff of the neck and pick up three votes, and he certainly did that. Hopefully one day, mate, we can get Hurdy on the podcast and we'll run that story by him. <laughs> I'd love I to know. see if he remembers it. <laughs> I reckon you're on to it, mate. Anyway, gents, that is my footy memory for this week. You know, it was just that silly sort of half humour, half just madness, you know. Let's get on to one of the biggest news stories in the game at the moment. And we mention it nearly every week on the show. It is a continually changing situation. It is where the big dance, the AFL Grand Final, will be held this year. None of us know. But one thing we do know is that apparently the AFL has reportedly put logistical plans in place to have the grand final in Queensland. Listening to this for the first time, what are our thoughts? I keep saying I don't really understand why they want to lock it away this early in the season, especially when they don't know who's playing. You were saying before we started recording, Seth, that um, it's sort of looking like Perth might be ruled out, which I'd be pretty disappointed with, considering that how well the Eagles played on the weekend against Collingwood. And um, say the Eagles are playing Collingwood or Geelong in a grand final, and the AFL misses the opportunity to have a grand final in front of 60,000 West Coast Eagles supporters or Perth supporters in general who have you know, followed the AFL for <laughs> a long time, mm. longer than you'd say a lot of Queensland supporters have. Like, I personally don't get it, whether it's just a logistical thing. For, um, the AFL is going to have most of the teams based in Queensland, which I think, from what I'm hearing, apparently the Brownlow is going to be in Queensland as well. Mm. And I think it'll also be before finals, considering that a lot of the teams might end up leaving once they don't, coming back to Victoria once they, there's no football left to be played and they haven't made finals. So I get the Brownlow, but still, <laughs> I keep saying I'm continually baffled by why the location of the grand final has to be locked in this early. I don't get it. Can't do much more than echo that. I know we've touched on it, gents, the last few weeks, but look, until we know more about um, capacities that each venue can have at the time and probably more to the point, the teams in it, 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 it almost is a bit of a moot point because we, we're not going to um, get anywhere in terms of decision-making. But look, it's the conversation's coming up every week at least, isn't it? The trouble is, gents, that they have to make a decision relatively soon because a lot of things like accommodation and venue bookings, they need to be booked in advance. It does look like the AFL has made accommodation and venue bookings in Queensland until the end of October. So depending on what happens with this season, and as we know, it develops by the day. So we're not entirely sure whether the season will even go to October and it may go beyond that time. But again, the situation continues to get worse in Victoria, so you can nearly rule out Victoria as a state that can host the finals this season. But yeah, they've had to book in some accommodation in Queensland, probably just quick thinking, trying to look ahead. 
And unfortunately, at this stage, it doesn't look like Western Australia have been included in those plans. They are hosting eight games in 17 days, which is great for Western Australian fans. But obviously, if the West Coast Eagles, like they did on the weekend, continue to play well, they do deserve, if they make it to the grand final, to have that grand final at home if they finish at the very top of that pecking order. But again, at the moment, just in the news cycle, it is looking like Queensland is ahead in that race. Geez, they have had a bit, a bit of egg on their face if West Coast end up playing a non-Queensland team in the grand final. But it'll be a big story. Imagine if West Coast are playing the Lions in the grand final. <laughs> the location hasn't been decided by that point. What are the AFL going to do there? That'll be interesting. Either way, someone's going to end up unhappy, aren't they? I don't know. Do you come down to ladder position? I guess that is the point, though, Serps, that you mentioned that we hadn't really considered before, is that it probably does in truth whether it should be or shouldn't be for the best interest is another thing but it probably from a logistical point of view does have to be locked in sort of sooner rather than later to be able to get uh, get all the necessary things in order yeah it'd be very intriguing to see what happens in queensland and and what the afl are going to do because as we know the giants and the swans have had to evacuate new south wales as the situation starts to get worse there they've flown to queensland um as queensland announced that it would close its borders to sydney siders on saturday so the giants and the swans have had to do a similar thing to what the victorians were doing a couple of weeks ago and they've had to leave in quite a flurry and get to their hubs in queensland before queensland shuts the borders so it's a bit of a frantic situation in New South Wales at the moment. We, we don't know what's in store as soon as next week sort of thing. Everything is sort of penciled in with, a, with an asterisk subject to change. So I guess from a fixturing point of view, they've, they've so far navigated things, I think, pretty well all things considered with the with the hand that they've been dealt. They're really, you know, sort of in a lose-lose situation. Even then, they've managed to sort of work through it with what is quite literally... A, a floating fixture almost on a week-to-week basis. We, we may never see this in football again after 2020. And it's been a season like no other, and it'll certainly continue to be that way. In other news, Carlton, Richmond and North Melbourne are all facing fines as large as, listen to this, $50,000 this week after some partners breached protocols by going to a day spa, attending a football game, and grandparents taking their grandchildren to a theme park in Queensland. Now, thankfully, no players will be affected by this fine, as in they won't get banned from games. But $50,000, gents, that's a pretty hefty price to pay for breaking protocol. That's a pretty big fine to cop, but <laughs> considering the whole situation, I mean, I imagine that they have put a lot of education into the players themselves, mm. but it's probably on the players to educate their family members as well. And I think this just speaks to the fact that some of them are probably a bit oblivious to the sort of seriousness that their actions can then have flow on effects to the AFL player and then can affect the AFL industry in turn as well. So, yeah, I think... The AFL's also got to make sure that the players are educating their families to the consequences of their actions while they're in, they're in these hubs as well. So, But 50 grand, if it's to a player specifically, is a big whack. Oh, it's huge. That's, I mean, uh, I suppose it was only a matter of time before something like this happened. I guess it was just uh, more a question of who as opposed to if, uh, you know, one way or another, uh, whether it's uh, incidental or just something flat out silly, I guess someone somewhere along the line, 
with this setup was always going to slip up, weren't they? But I must admit, not not till just now to hear you boys say it, I had no idea that the potential fines were that steep. Oh, does the cynic in this podcast say that, well, we know that the AFL are light on cash for many reasons. <laughs> Perhaps raising dollars through fines is a good place to start. Well, well, they've certainly done that with a match review panel, haven't they? So they're <laughs> starting to get a bit of reparation back, aren't they? Yep. Yeah, it's probably a question of uh, how do we get this back as, as quickly as possible. Uh, I absolutely agree with you there, gents. And, and look, my opinion is very, very similar to you guys. It's, it's a major privilege for families who aren't from Queensland to travel and support their loved ones playing footy in this really difficult time. It's a season where any COVID outbreak in the AFL footy community would jeopardise the entire 2020 AFL season. So the AFL is bankrolling the entire experience for the families to be there. So I think they have every right to be strict. So I can imagine how difficult it must be, obviously, for families looking after their kids during this period of time. And look, the urge to go to a theme park or take their kids outside or or to get a pedicure as well. (laughs) But honestly, it's their role to be responsible. I think it's very important that the families play a crucial role here as well. And don't break the rules when they're away from their players. $50,000, hopefully they learn their lesson after this. What's that, mate? That is uh, a very succinct summary as per <laughs> usual, Serps. Thank you very much, gentlemen. <laughs> Round eight, considerable winners and mammoth losers. Let's get right to the considerable winners because, Maxi, you have picked out a team who have went from cellar dwellers all the way there in hell, and they have risen like the incredible saints that they are. Absolutely, mate. I went with St Kilda, who <laughs> who beat Port Adelaide 73 to 44, 29 points. As I said earlier, I'm pretty filthy with Port Adelaide. I mean, <laughs> I've been downing them all year. I finally jump on the bandwagon, and they let me down. So the Saints. They did jump to fourth on the ladder, but Richmond have overtaken them. But now I've got a 5-3 and three record with two bad losses, which they shouldn't have lost to both Fremantle and North. So when you think about it, they could potentially have been 7-1 and one and been clear on the ladder. They've just had a couple of fade-outs late in games, which has cost them. Pretty tight game up until three-quarter time, and you're just thinking it's Port Adelaide home ground. They're finally playing in front of a crowd. They're going to run away with this thing. And the Saints kick five goals to none in the final quarter. And they, they kicked 12 goals, one for the match, which has got to be one of the most accurate games ever, which is surprising for the Saints because in the last few years, they've been one of the most inaccurate sides. But the combination of Paddy Ryder and Rowan Marshall started working a lot better for them than it had been. They've had a few problems. I think they dropped Paddy Ryder a few weeks ago. But Paddy Ryder seems to be better just at the clearance work with his tap work and Rowan Marshall seems to be better around the ground and getting involved in the game. I'm really liking their forward line of King, Membry and Butler with also Gresham and Billings who are sort of those mid-forward types who are pretty similar but really damaging with the ball. And they've also got Hunter Clark and Nick Caulfield who were both picked 7 and 8 in the 2017 draft who are starting to really show good improvement both across the half-back line. So some good return on investment in the draft for the Saints there. And also Jack Steele's probably in career-best form. So the Saints are flying at the moment. With They've sort of got a tricky draw coming up. They've got Sydney and then Gold Coast, Jong and Essendon. So a few sort of 50-50 games. But if they can go 2-2 two and two or maybe even 3-1, and one, and they should set up their season from there. So really impressed with the Saints on the weekend. And Maxi, will you be locking in the Saints for finals this season? Is it a little bit too early to jump on board of them? Or do you think they'll get to that 
as we suspect, that nine wins that possibly gets that team playing finals. I reckon they'll at least go two and two on there. So that sort of puts them in seven wins. But I'm backing them. I think they've they've shown a lot of improvement. I really like all of their recruits. Zach Jones sort of he's sort of reminded me a bit of his brother. He's in Sydney. He was sort of um, more of an outside player, and he's moved to the Saints, and he's sort of become an inside ball. Still got his running on the outsides, and probably sort of surprised me the most along with Butlow's been a really good pickup, and I don't think they gave up too much for him. So I'll back the Saints to make it from here, mate. What do you think? I think they'll make it. And another reason is, I think, Brett Radden. What an incredible story he has been. Mm. I think he was pretty stiff. He was prematurely sacked from Carlton. They weren't doing too badly. They got into a couple of final series with him, albeit not going all the way up. But with the list that they had, I thought... He was getting them into good places. And then he went and did some assistant coaching with one of the best coaches in the game. He's a little bit under stress at the moment, Alistair Clarkson, but he's got the incredible winning record there. And then he's managed to come to St Kilda, obviously, after Alan Richardson was sacked. He's came in. The players absolutely love him. And that's one of the Mm. best parts. It just looks like he's not only really accepted there, but he's really getting, as you mentioned, those key players to really play their role and they look like a much better side with him coaching and I've got to say as well they've really nailed their recruits this season and yeah. certainly Dougal Howard and Paddy Ryder gosh they had a point to prove against their old club and with a big crowd in as well I know Dougal had a couple of shaky moments but I mean how good was that goal from Paddy Ryder and as we mentioned before we went on air gee Paddy Ryder likes to turn it on against his ex-club <laughs> yeah he played very well against the Bombers for the Port Adelaide Power I think you're right with Ratton I think in his Carlton days he was criticised pretty heavily for being a little bit of a supporter on the bench. He used to show a lot of emotion, but you can see after the games, all the Saints players love him and they obviously love playing for him and they're reaping the rewards from it. And I think when you, when you've got a five and three record and you're in the top four, it's probably easier to show a bit of love for your coach. But it looks like everyone at St Kilda really likes him. And Frizy, you love your big, lanky, tall forwards. He's wearing the number 12, big Maxi King. And gosh, doesn't he look like a great find for them? Just wish for five minutes they could all stop talking about uh, him ultimately joining his brother. No one knows if that's going to happen. It might happen. Let's just wait and see. Let's just appreciate for now what a impressive full package of a, uh, a young talent we have here. Nothing, nothing else at the moment matters, you know? <laughs> absolutely. And talking about their forward lines, look, we know Tim Memory has missed some absolute sitters, but gosh, Gents, does that karate kick goal make up for that miss against Hawthorne? I reckon it does, man. It was pretty incredible. When it sort of happened, he wasn't really sure whether or not it was a goal. He sort of put his hand up, but he wasn't 100% sure. And then they were about to play on, and then the umpires have caught it back. <laughs> and he was pretty happy with his work after it. But as it happened, I don't think he even knew that it was a goal. It was incredible because I think the ball came off the fist of Tom Jonas straight onto yeah, his onto boot, boot and went through for the goal. So he might not have even felt the contact. I mean, it was just one of those extraordinary instances. But he got his foot in a good position managed to get the goal and it certainly helped the Saints accuracy as we mentioned before well Maxi, that was a great analysis of the Saints they are going along very very nicely at the moment and hopefully Eric Banner can join them some stage in the hub I mean it's unbelievable it's, it, I guess it's a case of our chop chop doing his bid for tourism Victoria you know along with Warney get all the greats back from the St Kilda Football Club and really get around the Saints in 2020. I mean, gosh, they've only won one premiership. If they can win a second, why can't it be in 2020? I reckon they're a big chance. Now, Frizy, let's get to your considerable winner for this round, and they were the highest-scoring team of the year and of the round, and one of their big forwards. As we mentioned before, you love your big forwards. 
He was on fire again. Oh, this was paradise for the big forward lovers. JK, we, most of us would know that that is, of course, the Josh Kennedy, the West Coast variety. Seven big ones. He's kicked seven or more, I think, a hell of a lot of times over the years. Normally in big wins like this, I think we all expected this game to be a lot closer. It obviously wasn't. West Coast just toyed with Collingwood, especially after the halftime. It was sort of a bit embarrassing from a Pies perspective there. Look, all of the sort of struggles aside for the Eagles early season, some really concerning losses and even some of the games that they won, such as those ones over the Crows and the Dockers, they sort of did enough without looking like the Eagles of the last few seasons. This this is huge. And hey, what else to expect from uh, when, when they're back on their home deck, of course. I just love how that stadium just feels... So much like a cauldron. I mean, they're able to get those flashy lights going. And one of the best bits of footage, and you guys probably saw it during the week, was one of their passionate fans. He was getting up and about. He was pointing to the backside. Don't know what exactly he was referencing. But he was the exact same gentleman that was in the West Coast cheer squad when big Mickey O'Loughlin ran through and gave a little bit of lip to the West Coast supporters. Incredible. It just goes to show their dedication. Yeah, that was fantastic. That I, I wouldn't have picked it if I didn't see the, uh, the little comparison photo, but there you go. That was fantastic to see. Eh? And both Collingwood and West Coast have really, really dynamic midfields. How important... Was it that Nit Nat Paddywhack Give a Dog a Bone is going so well at the moment? How big was it for him to tower one of the great Ruckman in the game being Brody Grundy? I mean, how big of a win was that? He played a great game. So, right, he looks a, a more and more powerful unit every time I see him. He really made light work of an opponent like Grundy, which is not something that's easy to do. That was really noticeable. Poor old Brody, that first half in particular, he looked not, not in the contest at all, did he? It's very, very uncharacteristic. When you're a champion like Brody Grundy, you can probably afford to have a couple of average games. But yeah, certainly after halftime, the West Coast Eagles turned it on. Maxi, would you agree with me when I say that that was the best game that Tim Kelly played this season? Absolutely, mate. I think he had 26 disposals and he sort of just got back to his ways. Uh, speaking of games looking forward to, we'll get on to that later, but he's playing against Geelong next week. But he reminds me a lot of Daniel Wells from probably about 10 years ago, Tim Kelly. He got forward a lot more these days at Geelong. I'm not sure how many goals he's kicked this season, but I think that'll come later in the season. But just touching on West Coast, we spoke a lot earlier in the season when we were doing this podcast that what West Coast is going to show up in Perth. And if, that was, if that's a sign of things to come and they get a, a stretch of a lot of games in Perth, then watch out because they're definitely going to be finishing top four. So they managed to even their ledger up by the time they finished, they got out of the Gold Coast. And now if they're pl- going to play the majority of the games in Perth, then other sides are going to be wary, particularly if they're playing a lot of condensed games in a row. West Coast are going to be playing some pretty tired teams and I think you could see a few blowouts pretty similar to this game where I, I'm not sure how poorly Collingwood performed or do you just put it down to the dominance of the West Coast Eagles being back on the home turf home turf with a crowd, sleeping in their own beds. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what the West Coast Eagles can put together in the latter half of the year. Yeah, the Pies obviously have a lot of talent on the sideline, but as we mentioned, Maxi, how the West Coast Eagles were going to perform coming out of that hub was going to obviously define their season. They've made that big statement to the competition. It's out there now. I think they're one of the teams that could definitely win this year's flag. And they just look so comfortable. Another player, Oscar Allen, probably had his best game Mm. of the season. So they found another 
brilliant tour forward in him. Waterman as well, like really well. Absolutely, and he had a great game against the Sydney Swans where he kicked a really big long bomb from outside 50, but mm. yeah, he's really coming on as a player as well, so they've certainly found a player in him, and yeah, they just look like a really settled side right now, and look, to be honest, as you mentioned with that string of games that they're going to have at Optus, it's very, very hard to see many clubs actually really threatening them. I mean, Geelong's going to be a challenge this week, but Gosh, they look ominous, don't they? Yeah, particularly if they can lock down a top two finish, if not a top four finish. If they can earn home finals, then, yeah, they're going to be tough to beat considering the amount of experience that they've got on that list and especially their midfield with Kelly, Shuey, Yo, Gaff. They run pretty deep. Their forward line, as you said, looks on fire and they've got a great defence as well. So they're strong all over the field. It is sort of exciting to see the performance like that. And as, as you guys said quite rightly, I think that's a statement. It took a little longer to arrive than we might have thought, but it's there, you know. You can't discount them at all. You start to add up those home games more and more. They are as much of a shot as anyone still, I think. Well, there's always a mammoth loser when there's a considerable winner. (laughs) And let's get straight into a team that's really been struggling and they may have to use the R word, which is rebuild. Maxi, tell us a bit more about Hawthorne. I I sort of watched this game and they didn't actually perform that badly. But they lost to Sydney 60 to 53. So it was a fairly close game. Hawks have now slipped to three and five. They're 15th on the ladder. So when was the last time Hawthorne were in the bottom four? <laughs> I can't remember. But what sort of shocked me is their percentages sitting at 79.7%. They actually lost all four of their games that they played in Sydney. So they're now headed to Perth. So they're going to have to play better in Perth than they did in Sydney. They had their opportunities. They were inaccurate in the last quarter. They actually kicked one goal five in the last quarter. So they only go down by seven points. Sort of gives you the idea that they could have stolen this game. I sort of see Hawthorne and Sydney sort of in a similar position at the moment. I would say, though, that Sydney have probably got a few more youngsters on their list that are playing at the moment that I'm excited about. I think Hawthorne actually had a fair few young players that lesser names than the Sydney younger players. Most people would know, but they are starting to play a few more younger players. I think they're just really struggling with their forward line at the moment to kick big scores. So their last four scores, 53 on the weekend and then 48, 27 and then 49. But I feel like they're really missing Luke Bruce. He's a really good small forward, one of the best in the comp with a fractured jaw. I looked at the injury list and it said he was a test for this week. So he'd come back within these runner games in Perth. So... Just upcoming, they've got Carlton this week, which you'd have to say you'd probably tip Carlton at the moment, given their form. And then they've got the two Perth sides in Freo and West Coast. So I think they're definitely a chance against Carlton. And then definitely a chance against Fremantle, but you have to take into the fact that Freo are playing at home, whereas Hawthorne are staying in a hotel, Freo staying sleeping in their own beds, as I said before, and then they've got West Coast. So it's a tricky run of three games, but um, as I said before, they're going to have to play better in Perth than they did in Sydney. And as you mentioned as well, Maxi, very, very low scores. Those kind of scores aren't going to win you many games, so they've definitely got to start converting, and probably their midfielders as well. They've got some, they've got some really talented midfielders. They might have to pop into the forward lines, kick a couple of sausage rolls for them as well. And yeah, they they might have to accept that this is a position now where they just have to concede that they're going to have to go to the draft and have a really strong hand and might have to do what they did in the early 2000s and just accept that they need more younger talent on that list. But Maxi, funnier things have happened with Hawthorne. As we know, Alistair Clarkson is an absolute genius and he upset West Coast at the end of last season can he do it again? Who knows, mate? You're sort of right what you say about Hawthorne. You're in 15th at the moment, but you sort of feel like 
whenever you watch a Hawthorne game, they're always a chance, regardless of where they sit on the ladder. So you wouldn't be totally shocked if they could turn things completely around and end up finishing. Who knows if they could sneak in a spot at the eight? I doubt it, but you never put it past them. I, I think, like Maxie said, you can't write them off. There's there's enough match winners there that have done it so mm. many times. But look, I'm, I'm with you though, sir. It'll be very interesting to see the planning at the end of the season because I think we can all pretty comfortably sit here and say Hawthorne are probably not going to make the eight. So it's a, it's that question of where do you go from there? You finish in that ugly sort of ninth to 12th range, perhaps. How long till, till Jeffrey runs out of patience? Huge off-season coming up for them. So that is Hawthorne. Done and dusted for this week. Hopefully they won't be in the Mammoth Losers for too much longer. Such a champion coach that they have. And Jeffrey Kennett. They <laughs> should turn things around eventually. Fryzy, let's get to your Mammoth Loser, or let's say not-so-Mammoth Loser for this round. Yes, very appropriate that, sir. Look, I don't want to pile into our Bombers too much. They did win a game that perhaps in years gone by they would have dropped. They still played some good footy and looked good for patches. You know, it's a typical sort of SNN game that you could easily hand over. Adelaide at home, haven't won a game, pretty pumped up. So glad we got the points. As we were saying pre-show, we're still five and two. We're in the eight with a game in our back pocket as well, along with Melbourne. So, look, I, not a huge cause for concern, really. Um, I think the issue for mine is just there's still those patches where the boys tend to go to sleep a little bit. I don't think they were very clean with the with the way they use the ball on the weekend. A lot of errors, and having Kyle Langford suspended as a result isn't great. There was an injury to Jaden Laverde as well. There were probably more negatives to come out of this one. But look, I still think without hitting them too hard for this week's effort, the next month with some of those those games coming up against some stronger opponents, that will probably be the real test of, of where we're at, I think. Yeah, whether or not we'll be discussing them as mammoth losers in future weeks with the kind of injury tolls that we've had this season, it's obviously very, very difficult for any side. And those syndesmosis injuries just keep piling up from they club do, to don't club. They? What, what is Windows, boys, this year? They're, they're barely heard of the the word before and i doubt any of us here would be able to spell it and um yet this year there's been there's been what a handful at least you'd sort of think that there'd be more soft tissue injuries that are going through the afl at the moment but syndesmosis seems to be the injury of the year particularly with essendon we've already got jake stringer out uh, laverty injured his syndesmosis on the weekend and it looked pretty innocuous but they end up being sort of six to eight weeks. So Yeah, look, in that situation, we would have been four and three if we lost that game. We go to five and two. We take that. We're still in the eight somehow, holding on by the skin of our teeth. But I think, Fries, as you identified them as a mammoth loser or as a loser this round, it's simply because those injuries are really, really costly and they could be costly as we've got a really tough fixture in the next four weeks. And they play finals though, Fryzy. What do you think? I think we're very much in the frame at the moment. Um, as we said, we, you're five and two and you've got that extra game um, up your sleeve. Whether that's going to be a, a help or a hindrance, we don't know yet. But look, the, I, I think with the, with the challenges coming up, um, not just with our personnel lack of availability, we'll get a few back, but not all of them. Look, I think the next the next month, if you can grab a couple of wins out of that group, they're probably going to find themselves pretty well placed. So I'd say at this stage, Essendon will make it without putting any, any certainty on it, though. Absolutely. And I think a positive is as well, we won't have to leave Queensland. We've got all of those matches at Metricom Stadium. So that's a massive win for the club, just getting used to that ground and used to the conditions as well. So that'll certainly favour 
the way we want to play the game and certainly adjust our style to that ground as well. So watch this space on Essendon. We'll be very interested to see how we go in the next four weeks. Gents, let's get to one of our favourite segments on the show. It's bring it back, give it the sack, have a crack. My bad Let's get to bring it back because on the weekend, start of the second quarter, we saw the Saints group deep breathing, which is a very different approach to maybe some of the team huddles in the past where you have coaches absolutely unleashing hell onto their players in the middle. But this was a bit of mindfulness, which of course is the mental state achieved by focusing on one's awareness of the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations. And it's used as a therapeutic technique. Gents, do we have to be harder on our players, or do you like the deep breathing, get-in-the-zone technique? Well, it seemed to work. That's going to work. Every quarter, you might see a few clubs adopting it, as they did with, um, I think, Richmond a few a year or two ago, when Jack Higgins started cracking joke, he saw a few clubs sort of try and copy that. Maybe they would start um, copying the St Kilda trade to do some deep breathing at three-quarter time. Boys, I can confirm very quickly I'm not, but I'm big fan, no concept of, well, whatever works. Um, I'm sure there'd be plenty of teams that wouldn't even consider anything like this. Look, if you find a formula that seems to be having a positive effect, I say stick with it. This is, this is certainly something outside the square, but look, maybe we'll see a bit more of it. But, gents, it got me thinking... What are some of the best, most effective and weird in-play traditions that we've seen in our game? Now, the first one was when we watched the last the documentary about the incredible Chicago Bulls in the NBA and the superstar that was and still is MJ, Michael Jordan. We saw a lot of footage there, him smoking those big fat cigars on his playing days and having the occasional beer post-match. Didn't seem to affect his on-field performance, gents. Neither did Dennis Rodman's quick trips to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get all that partying out of the system so he could get his head straight on game day. It's, it's phenomenal what some of these players can do to their bodies and still perform. It's phenomenal. There was a player in the baseball that drank some ridiculous record like 60 beers on a plane. So, you know, sports stars can take a lot. That's a good way of putting it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They can certainly put their body through all kinds of rigours. Tim Watson reckons that during the 1984 Grand Final, club doctor and absolute champion at the Essendon Football Club, Brucey Reid, had a cigarette at three-quarter time that he handed to champion Paul Vanderhaar. And big Paul Vanderhaar had a couple of drags of it. Can you believe that, Jets? I can because it was 1984, but geez, can you imagine that happening in 2020? Oh. Three-quarter time of a grand final, Frizy. I suppose we're talking about very different times. Even for that day and age, though, that is extremely rare and bizarre, I think. Let's go to a different sport here, gents, because there is a man called Jason Terry who used to play in the NBA. He was the shooting guards for the Mavericks. And one of his weird traditions was he used to like sleeping in his opponent's shorts. And listen to this. He wouldn't buy the fake ones either. They had to be purely authentic game day shorts. Sounds like something that you'd think like a tag or like a Cameron Lee would do, something like that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird one for an NBA player. Almost to steal the DNA of the opposition. Whatever gets you in the zone to play, but gee, that's, that's out there. That's really out there. That's a strange one as well. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, one of the craziest ones I came across, guys, was a big fella. And I'm talking, he's a very, very big fella. His name's John Henderson. He's a big NFL player who used to like getting slapped to get him pumped up before the game. He would get any old trainer before the game to give him one massive slap and it would really get him in the zone. Oh, Joe, that ain't good enough. Come on, Joe. Ah, thank you, baby. Thank you. You make your blood come from my damn mouth. That's what I'm talking about, baby. You got to make blood come to the mouth. You can't just smack me and don't hit me hard. That bullshit. When you hit a motherfucker, you hit that motherfucker. Let's kick the ass, Kick the ass. Let's go. Do you think the trainer would be more scared than the actual player getting slapped in this situation? How hard do I hit him? I've got to hit him hard enough to fire him up, but, gee, I don't want to hurt him, and, you know, all of a sudden I'm in trouble, gee. Gosh, as an opposition player lining up against this guy, you look at him and he's got this massive red hand mark on his face. You must be thinking, what the hell's going on in this club? You do whatever works for you, and it's all in the mind, isn't it? Give it the sack! Tom Hawkins! Gave one of his fans at the end of a very, very wet and sloppy game. He gave his shorts to one of the fans. The shorts were absolutely filled with God knows how much water. That poor fan would have been standing there wringing those shorts. But gosh, guys, have you ever seen a player give away his shorts at the end of a game? He wasn't, he wasn't giving them away to that NBA player who was stealing people's shorts, yeah. was he? <laughs> might have been him. There might have been some link. Jason Terry. The guy Jason who likes Terry. to sleep in the shorts. Maybe that was Jason Terry in the fans. Maybe he loves to collect them. Maybe he's made a trip to Perth. <laughs> They're a big set of shorts. Tommy Hawkins saw shorts, that's for sure. Would that be an extra, extra, extra large fryzy? What do you reckon? Oh, keep going, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, more X's in there than... Uh... Oh, look, I won't say it. Uh, we've managed to source some very unusual, unique occurrences in this week's episode, boys. That is, that's something I haven't seen before. Guys, it just gets a little bit weirder here because... Harry Mackay, did he play for North Melbourne on the weekend? Now, listen to this. Harry Mackay for the Carlton Football Club was a late out in the game against North Melbourne, yet his identical twin brother played. Now, we thought it was a tad suspicious. So I'm going to ask the question to you, gents. Are they the same person? <laughs> Have you ever seen him in the same room together? <laughs> I think the last time I saw them, they were in the... Uh... I remember the draft night. I think I was watching 2015. They were, they were there together, but it was suspicious. <laughs> Only those within the four walls at that footy club that actually know the, the real answer to this, boys. Are the McGovern brothers the same person as well? Because Mitch isn't out there at the moment. And guess what? Ivor is Jeremy. I reckon Jeremy oh. plays a bit better than Mitch, though. Yeah. I think he does. I think he does. And he has a premiership medallion as well, if you don't mind. So I'm sure he sticks that to his brother a fair bit as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't reckon they're the same person. Let's get to have a crack. On the weekend, we saw Toby Green, a man who was barely sighted on grand final day. And to be honest, most of the GWS squad weren't sighted <laughs> either. He turned it on against the Tigers, winning the grand final rematch version of the Norm Smith and securing a very impressive victory, mind you. But what if the match stakes were a little bit higher, gentlemen? Now, what I'm talking about is if the team that lost the grand final, win the grand final rematch, they should automatically win that previous season's premiership. I know this is controversial, gents, but if they lose, their opposition opponents get an automatic 
home prelim final. What are our thoughts on this, gents? You lost the plot. <laughs> I was trying to think of the polite way to say it. Um, yeah. Well, I know this, this show is an endless supply of great ideas. Not sure about this one. Not going to rule it out, but it's uh, <laughs> unexpected. Gents, let me give you some scenarios that just might change your mind. Okay, in 2010, the Saints bet the Cats by 24 points in the grand final replay, which meant that the Cats would have lost the 2009 grand final. So the Saints would have won their first flag in over... 60 years. It would have been massive. I think you've just lost everyone. (laughs) Oh, mate. Come on. What about the Adelaide Crows? They ended up winning the replay in 2018, meaning the Tigers wouldn't have got that drought-breaking 2017 premiership. Surely. (laughs) (laughs) But, gents, how about this? This was probably the hardest thing. I was trying to see when Essendon won the corresponding grand final replay the following year, and I had to go all the way back to 1952 to find where Essendon won a grand final replay. That's right. Essendon bet Geelong by 69 points. We lost the 1951 grand final to Geelong, and we finally bet them the following year in 1952. That is remarkable. I... Did not know that either. You're full of amazing facts week after week. So can I just, I'll throw a little thing out there. I've actually always, on this sort of subject, I've always been a fan of the idea that the grand finalists of the previous year should always open the new season. First game, round Mm. one, either Thursday or Friday night, probably Thursday the following year to kick things off. I don't think it's really happened very often. I don't know. It's probably going to be hard-pressed replacing... Um, the usual Carlton Richmond um, but show. That idea has always has always crossed my mind. I used to do it a lot, but I reckon if we go back to give it the sack segment, I reckon we get rid of the Richmond um, Carlton tradition. Richmond have dominated Carlton for however many years. I think Carlton are on the up at the moment, but I've been surprised that they've stuck with it for, for however many years that they've gone with it, considering how poorly the Carlton have done over recent times. And look, every year you want to see the best teams play against each other in the opening round, or at least the most evenly matched sides. And so what better way to find out who's going to be real contenders in that following season is to get the two sides who last played each other. So mm. no, I absolutely agree with that, Frizy. Have a crack on getting rid of Richmond and Carlton in round one. Yeah, that's well said. Look, have a crack is just about my favourite segment because of some of these brilliant ideas that should be common sense but for whatever reason they're not more and more week after week gents that it, it may never happen but look in the ballpark can can certainly dream i've got a quick have a crack for you sir yes mate there's a new nhl team so a hockey team in seattle i think did you hear what their new nickname is i have not heard it i, I want to run it past you guys and see what you think because i absolutely love it they're called the seattle kraken inspired by the pirates of the caribbean <laughs> the kraken okay. The not Kraken. the Krakens, the Kraken. So it's not plural either. Oh, I'll have, have a crack. Have a Krakens. The Krakens. I, I, reckon, I, reckon I reckon we change our name on here as well to have a Krakens. The Krakens. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely massive. Fryzy, you, you got to love this game as well, being a Seattle native. Oh, of course. I mean, uh, I'm surprised you haven't brought it up sooner. That could only do wonders for their brand and I guess their marketability to new fans because they've got such a unique name that 
no one else could even think of. Oh, I, I really rate that ploy. I think it's a, I think it's a very, a very bold strategy. I like it. Speaking from experience, having been to Seattle, the only two other names that I could think would be in contention would be the Seattle Space Needles being the largest tower in Seattle, or listen to this, the place where Starbucks is founded is Seattle. So it would have been the Seattle Starbucks, which, look, might have been a marketing dream. It could have, could have been a pretty handy uh, partnership, though. Get Starbucks as the main sponsor. Bit of pumpkin spice latte at the games as well. That would have been huge. But oh. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah gee, gee whiz. I love it, the Kraken. It's yeah. like um, summon the Kraken or whatever he says. It's like this big octopus that, Used oh. to take down pirate ships. So I imagine that they would have like a Davy Jones locker. Like if, if, you, if you're a player, you, you have a Davy Jones locker. And he's the number one um, ticket holder. So they're just going to have a massive octopus as their mascot, Maxi? Or are they going to get good old Captain Jack and they're going to bring back Johnny Depp? Get Johnny Depp down. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, look, quite fittingly, quite a washed up Johnny Depp as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Gents, I think we can both agree it's a much better name than the Seattle Sonics. You've got my agreement there, that's for sure. Gents, let's get to our final segment of the show. It is final thoughts and what we're looking forward to for round nine. Guys, what are some of the games that you're most excited about? Boys, uh, yeah, I'm going to say, look, there's there's definitely a few, but uh, as there seems to be most weeks, I'm really keen, though, to look out for West Coast and Geelong on Saturday night. Again, it's at Optus Stadium. It's West Coast at home. They've got to surely enter at favourites after last week. It's the two teams that played off in that crunch semi-final last year. So here we go. Most likely two that we're going to see in the, in the top eight come the end of it. Probably going to get a really good read just into how, how far this West Coast side has turned around, um, especially being back at home. Huge examination for the Cats as well. So I think this one could be a ripper. Tim Kelly Cup. I was going to say, Maxie, it, it, is. Is, it is the <laughs> Scott Selwood, Nathan Vardy, Tim Kelly Cup. Gee whiz, oh. there's been a lot of players traded between these two clubs, hasn't there? Mm. Sure has. Again, Serps, that, that research of yours is just <laughs> unbelievable. Statman Serp kind of just rolls off the tongue. You might be in trouble here, That's, Maxie. I reckon you've overtaken me, man. <laughs> Maxie, what is the game you're most excited about this round? I'm going to go with our boys, the Bombers, against the Ooh. Brisbane Lions. So it's 7th versus 2nd at Metricon. So technically, it's an estimate home game but Brisbane will be probably more favoured by the conditions so um, both teams got a few outs this week so I don't think they'll be at their 100% best lineups but yeah it'll be an interesting game Essendon played very well against the Lions at the, at the MCG and have a pretty good decent record against the Lions over previous seasons but having said that the Lions have sort of improved over the last two years in particular but Essendon did get that um, really good win at the G last year so It'll be interesting to see whether the Lions can turn around that run form against the Bombers. That's the game I'm probably most looking forward to, but there are also a number of other games I'm looking forward to. The clash of 17th versus 18th, North Melbourne versus Adelaide. The cellar dwellers, Maxie. I think it's also worth mentioning, Majak Dor is going to play his first game in 706 days, just a tick over two years. It's quite an extraordinary story. The last time he played was round 23 of 2018. He's been through a lot of heartache since then. He sustained a terrible injury in late 2018, we all know the details behind that. It was a very, very tough and a dark time for him. It's just wonderful that he's back. He had a couple of injury setbacks of recent times, but what a great story, gents. I mean, he's 
such a great competitor. And gosh, he does some freaky stuff on the footy field as well. So it's going to be very exciting to see him back out there. Yeah, he's really starting to improve. He switched to the back line. He was really starting to improve as a sort of intercept key defender. So hopefully he can get back to his best form. Another game as well is the Gold Coast versus the GOS. So the Battle of the Expanded Clubs is another game <laughs> that I'm looking forward to as well. Guys, it's been another absolute stellar performance from both of you. I've loved having your company again on In the Ballpark. Take care, enjoy the footy this round, and may the carnival begin. Beauty. Looking forward to it, mate. Let the carnival happen. It's already started. Enjoy, boys. Thanks again for another terrific week. Good on you. Thank you for your company again. As always, like our Facebook page, In The Ballpark, and also like our Instagram page, at In The Ballpark AFL. We'll see you next week on In The Ballpark. I was going to absolutely annihilate and launch